Warning, this podcast is intended for adult audiences only. We discuss sex and sexual relationships in a frank and open manner. We are not marriage and family therapist or sex therapist, and the content provided is for informational and entertainment purposes only. If you are under the age of 18 or do not wish to hear explicit discussions about sex and sexual relationships or adult language, then you shouldn't listen any further. But if you are, well, grab your seat, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of The Accidental Swingers. We're Marina and Tristan, a longtime married professional couple in our early 50s. Kids, dogs, cats, vacations at Disney World, you know, the whole nine yards. But in 2018, we decided, after years of kind of talking about it, to live a non-monogamous lifestyle. But it wasn't that easy, was it? No, it wasn't. You see, we sort of accidentally started swinging. Yeah, we did. And we found our story so humorous and fun that we decided to record and chronicle our journey for ourselves so that we could go back and listen to our adventures. And boy, have we had some adventures. Yeah, we have. In the last few years, we've found that we really love this lifestyle that we've chosen. And it's not only strengthened our marriage, but it's also helped us to grow both as individuals and as a couple. And as we began to go back and listen to our recordings, we realized that others may really benefit from listening to and hearing about our mistakes and our very very candid discussions about what we were going through and experiencing. We talk about and we laugh about. We laugh a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. We laugh about the mistakes that we've made, the crazy things that we've experienced, and the exciting things that have happened to us. But we also talk very openly and honestly about the tough times, the emotional landmines and pitfalls we had to navigate, some rougher than others. So we thought that we'd create this podcast so that others may gain some perspective or some insight and maybe even learn a lesson or two about what to do and what not to do in their own journeys. And basically, you'll join us on our journey in real time because we will include excerpts of our recordings. Some will be quick outtakes, others will be longer conversations about what we were going through or experiencing at that time. So grab a drink. Or settle into your seat if you're driving. Relax, sit back, and join us as we bumble our way through this adventure that we call The The Lifestyle. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome. Thanks for joining us at The Accidental Swingers. I'm Marina. I'm Tristan. And we're so excited that you're here today. We're joined by Dr. Justin Lay Miller, uh, author. We're going to tell you a little bit about his book, and we're going to talk a lot about sex today. So it's super exciting. We're going to give you a quick introduction, introduce you to Dr. Justin Lay Miller. He is a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute. He is the resident sex researcher at Astroglide runs the Sex and Psychology blog and podcast, and is author of the popular book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. Dr. Leigh Miller is an award-winning educator, having been honored three times with the Certificate of Teaching Excellence from Harvard University, where he taught for several years. He is also a prolific researcher who has published more than six, sorry, 50 academic works. I was going to give you 10 extra academic works there. I'll take them. (laughs) Okay. We'll just pretend it's 60. 60 or 50 or however many academic works, including a textbook titled The Psychology of Human Sexuality that is used in college classrooms around the world. So thank you so much for joining us today. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, we were introduced to your book, actually, from, it was a Reddit post that Mm -hmm. I happened to read that someone was talking about sexual fantasies and desires, and they cited your book. And I was like, well, that sounds like a really interesting topic and information. So I looked it up, immediately ordered it right away. And I don't think I'd had the book a day before I reached out to you to ask you to please come 
come on our podcast because it was wonderful. And the book is so well written and so easy to understand. And it just was like you were talking to me in the room here as we were just talking about the different things. So I don't know if you're familiar at all with our story, but we are actually swingers in the lifestyle. And one of the things that came up from talking about your book and reading it was the conversation about how it's very hard for people to talk about their sexual fantasies and sexual desires. And our audience seems to be a little bit on the newer side. There are people that are not quite in the lifestyle yet, or they're interested in joining in the lifestyle or becoming swingers. They want to know about it. Our stories, we've started kind of at the beginning of our journey. That's what people are hearing our stories about. And so it was a really great time to bring you on to talk about these things because we wanted to expose people who are trying to decide, how do I talk to my partner about these things? How do I even bring this up? What does, you know, a lot of our listeners are men that want to get their wives or their girlfriends into the lifestyle, or at least talking about it. One of the other things we talked about too in the book, and I'm sure we'll discuss here as well, is that sometimes just talking about the fantasies can be just as exciting as fulfilling them. So we talked a little bit, or you wrote down and and discussed a little bit about as swingers in the non-monogamy community, Mm -hmm. talking about sexual desires and sexual fantasies. How would you suggest going about that? I think that's kind of what I really want to get at. It's kind of how, how would you go about talking to somebody or having couples talk to each other about something that they're interested in? Well, yeah, I, think, I would think st- actually, and I would think step one for us, and the question that we get often is jumping straight to the how can I talk to my partner about swinging? But to my mind, there's a lot that need a lot of groundwork that has to happen before you have that conversation, even, which is where I think your book comes in and is so helpful because you talk more about, you do talk, of course, about the possibility of turning fantasies into reality, but the bulk of your book is just about talking about fantasies in the first place. Where do they come from? What do they say about you? And, you know, how do you share them? Because as Marina said, it can be terrifying to talk to somebody. We've been married for 28 years and I feel like we can talk about just about everything, but maybe not. And so, you know, it's a very intimidating or can be a very intimidating thing to talk to your spouse or your partner. And so I think just as a starting point, as a jumping off point, how how do you begin that conversation? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And thanks for all of your kind comments about the book. I'm glad you found it to be a, a useful and helpful resource. And that's why I wrote it because most of us don't ever learn anything about how to communicate with our partners about what it is that we want. And so I wanted to try and provide some concrete tips and tools for doing that. I think as a starting point, there's a bit of work that we have to do on ourselves before we start talking about our fantasies with our partners, because there's a lot of shame and stigma that is wound up in those sexual fantasies. And when we feel uncomfortable with our own fantasies, that makes it really hard to share them with a partner and to feel comfortable and confident doing so. So I think part of it is starting with that self-acceptance. And that's one of the things I do in the book is to help people understand what the most common sexual fantasies are and that odds are the things you're fantasizing about are the same things that most other people are fantasizing about too. And once you realize how common your fantasies are and how odds are your partner probably has a lot of things in common with you, it becomes a lot easier to open up the door to that conversation. So I think it starts first with the normalization of fantasies and a little bit of work on the self. 
And then when it comes to actually sharing fantasies, as you mentioned, it's a process, <laughs> you know, you don't jump right into, Hey, let's try swinging <laughs> when you've never had many serious conversations about sex before. And I get readers on my sex and psychology blog all the time who send me questions that say, I want to watch my wife or girlfriend sleep with somebody else. How do I do that? Right. It's like, okay, there's a lot of steps that need to happen first. And part of it is just normalizing conversations about sex and getting comfortable talking about your wants and needs and desires. And when sharing fantasies, it's starting low and going slow, right? You don't necessarily want to jump into the most adventurous thing you can. Um, and especially if you've never opened up your relationship in any way before, that's really intimidating. Most people don't have a blueprint for, for how that goes or how to manage or navigate that. So I think start sharing some of your more vanilla types of fantasies and get some practice sharing and acting on those, build up trust and intimacy and communication skills. And then once you've got that in place, then you can start sharing some of the more adventuresome types of fantasies. But again, go slow with all of this. It's not immediately jump into bed with somebody else or invite somebody in. Uh, there's a lot of advanced discussion that needs to happen about what are the ground rules going to be for our relationship and for how all of these things work. It's really important to talk all of that through and think about not just the potential rewards and the pleasure and all the good things that could happen, but what are the potential risks and how do we mitigate them? And so you talk about benefits and rewards as opposed to risks. And so in your experience, can you talk about some of those things? You know, what, what are some of the benefits and rewards? And on the other hand, what are some of the risks and how do you, how do you mitigate those risks? And I guess the worst case, how do you fix it if you don't mitigate in the first place? Yeah. Great questions. When it comes to rewards for acting on any fantasy, one of the rewards obviously is heightened arousal, pleasure, and excitement. You know, that ability to turn your fantasy into reality can be a very intense, immensely rewarding experience. And I find that the good news is that most people who act their, who share and act on their fantasies report positive effects and say that it brought them closer to their partner and that the experience met or exceeded their expectations. So for the most part, people are happy and satisfied who are engaging more with their fantasies. And they're also reporting fewer problems with sexual functioning. I think when we hold back our fantasies and we have that shame, it can interfere with our pleasure by creating stress and anxiety that can make it harder to stay aroused, to have an orgasm. So, you know, there's all of these good sexual and relationship benefits that you can obtain potentially by incorporating your fantasies into your sex life. It can also help you to understand and explore your own sexuality and who you are as the sexual person. Sometimes you don't know what you like until you try it. And so by expanding your sexual horizons, you can really understand yourself and your limits. And maybe you'll find that you're capable of things that you never thought you'd be capable of before. But by the same token, you might also find that, hey, the idea of that was really arousing, but the reality of it wasn't what I thought it would be. And so maybe you discover new limits and that, you know, fantasy doesn't always live up to reality. Now, in terms of the risks, when we're talking about something like swinging or any form of partner sharing or non-monogamy, like threesomes and group sex, you know, one of the risks there is always the potential for jealousy to emerge, right? Where let's say if it's a situation where your partner is 
sexually interacting with someone else, maybe you'll find that that makes you feel really insecure or uncomfortable. And so you have to figure out how to manage or navigate that situation. Because sometimes you think, say the idea of a threesome sounds great, you don't realize how jealous you'll be until you're actually in that situation. So, you know, one practical suggestion for dealing with that is there's a book called The Jealousy Workbook that I often like to recommend that kind of walks people through, like, what are the emotions that you might experience in a group encounter or some other type of non-monogamous situation? And how do you work through them and mitigate them? And I think doing some of that work in advance can be really helpful for cutting off some of the unexpected negative emotional impacts. Of course, another risk with, you know, any type of non-monogamy is potential for uh, sexually transmitted infections. And so that involves taking steps to mitigate that by practicing safe sex, getting regular STI tests and things like that. You know, there's also just the potential for conflict to emerge. Like, let's say this situation doesn't go as planned, or you had some limits in advance, but one partner didn't stick to those limits. They broke the rules, right? So, you know, maybe there were limits on specific sexual activities that could take place. And, you know, maybe kissing was not permitted because, you know, maybe that's an activity that only you do with your partner, but then your partner kissed somebody during the encounter. So broken rules are a potential risk. And I think it's important to have those clear rules and boundaries set up Think about having a safe word so that if things start to get uncomfortable, you can exit the situation. You know, a lot of people only think of safe words as being helpful for, you know, kink and BDSM, but I think they're actually really important in group sex and non-monogamy so that people kind of have an exit strategy in place in case unexpected emotions or feelings arise and something goes past somebody's comfort zone. So having that exit strategy in place is a good idea. And then one last thing I'd say is that it's important to go in with realistic expectations recognize things might not go according to plan and that you might need to go back and revisit your rule set afterwards. If the fantasy doesn't live up to reality or if you know somebody breaks the rules, you can go back and revise. I often like to say that it takes a bit of time to perfect a fantasy. Uh, so just because you had one experience that wasn't so great doesn't mean that you can't get it where you want it to be. We've experienced that quite often, actually. We're, <laughs> we're pros at having things not go the way that we think that they're going to go and then have to regroup later. Well, it's really interesting hearing you talk about that because I want to back up just a little bit to the emotional piece of it. And I like what you said about the jealousy because we get questions. That's kind of the first question all the time for anybody wanting to join the lifestyle is what happens if I get jealous? So we go back to pointing out to people that you have to have trust, communication, it has to be so open, more so than you even thought that you needed, let's say, or that you haven't had an issue where you're going to have jealousy or things come up. So jealousy is definitely one of the things that comes up as well. But you also mentioned shame and being vulnerable. So how did that really kind of play into it, into fantasies? Yeah, I mean, the shame piece, something that holds a lot of people back from wanting to feel vulnerable, right? So the shame prevents people from talking about their fantasy in the first place, opening up and really disclosing their wants to their partner. And so it's really important to shed that sexual shame first before you get into the process of sharing and acting on your fantasies. Because if you're bringing that emotional baggage into the situation with you, you're not going to be able to fully relax and uh, you might feel guilt afterwards for engaging in that fantasy when you try to turn it into reality. And that can be really counterproductive and, you know, not just bad for your own mental health, but bad for the health of your relationship. It's important to go in feeling good <laughs> so that you can come out 
out feeling good. You know, that shame piece I think is really important to address. But something else I wanted to say about jealousy is that it's a funny emotion in that you don't necessarily know when it's going to strike. And there are some people who say they're not jealous people and they don't really experience jealousy, but there can be some situation in life where suddenly that emotion kicks in and they've never experienced that before. In fact, I was interviewing a, a guest, Dr. Elizabeth Sheff for my own podcast recently, who's an expert on polyamory. And we were having this whole discussion about jealousy. And she was talking about how, you know, some people jealousy is this emotion that they don't discover <laughs> until later in life. And they realize just how bad it can feel. And so even if you don't experience jealousy now, that doesn't mean that it can't pop up later. And that's why I think it's important for everyone to go in with these realistic expectations, do a little bit of that work first on yourself, think about how you might deal with unexpected emotions, and then be prepared for how you might go about resolving them. We talk a lot about that too, as well, because I think that jealousy is kind of an overarching term that really covers a lot of different things. And what we always have talked about and tell our listeners as well is that the jealousy is what pops up. That's what you feel. And you know that you're jealous, but then sometimes you have to look underneath that for the why. What happened? What was it that triggered that emotion or those feelings and things like that? So, you know, you're absolutely right. It's something that people can get very caught off guard and not know that it's going to going to hit them and they don't know what to do with it. I think one of the things you said earlier is so key and it really is kind of across the board is just everything needs to go slowly. You shouldn't jump in and talking about your fantasies and then acting them out. Everything needs to go slowly so that you can really make sure everybody's on the same page. I think also just being able to read the room with your own spouse or partner. And I've heard people say that, you know, yeah, I'm interested in these things. My wife is very adventuresome, but I'm not so sure that we can even talk about X, Y, and Z. You know, I wonder if you have a situation where your spouse or partner is, you know, has some pretty hard limits about certain things. Is it something that you, again, going slowly, is there a strategy for chipping around the edges and softening that without being manipulative in any way, but just how do you expand that level of communication to be more inclusive of things that may be taboo or maybe something that has never been considered before in your relationship? Yeah, I get this question all the time. You know, what if I share my fantasy with my partner and they're not totally on board with it? You know, how do you resolve right. that situation? And this could be about a swinging or non-monogamy fantasy, or it could be about anything. My suggestion is when it comes to sharing your fantasies, your partner shares something, you're not totally into it. Start by thanking them for being willing to open up with you about that fantasy. Recognize that it was probably hard for them to share that with you in the first place, precisely because there's all of that shame and emotional baggage that is often tied up in our fantasies. If you're not totally into it, take some time with it to think about it for a while, because sometimes the fantasy that your partner has shared with you is just something that you've never thought about before. And it's just totally new to you and you're not sure how you really feel about it. And so take some time, maybe do some research and reading about that fantasy. So maybe it's reading up on some books about swinging or non-monogamy, like The Ethical Slut is a book that I often like to recommend to people as sort of an introductory guide. 
once you kind of take a bit of time to think, your attitudes might change and then you can proceed from there. But if they haven't changed, think about whether there's something you could pull out of that fantasy that would be of interest to you. So maybe you don't want to jump right in and do a full partner swap, but maybe you're open to the idea of something more limited, like a threesome, or maybe the idea of somebody watching you and your partner have sex, right? There's all kinds of ways that you can test the boundaries there without jumping in headfirst and just an orgy or something like that. And if there isn't an element of the fantasy that interests you, then think about, well, are there other ways that I can help my partner meet or gratify their sexual needs? You know, if this is something that's really important to them and it's going to become a continued repeated source of conflict in our relationship, what can we do to address that? So for some couples that might be opening their relationship so that they can both go do their own things within their own comfort zone, because maybe, you know, the idea of doing group things with their partner in person they don't like because they'd feel really jealous, but maybe, you know, letting their partner have that sexual outlet to go do something else could be a viable solution. Maybe it's allowing your partner to interact with other people online or in VR, virtual reality settings. There's all kinds of ways that you can work with this within your boundaries or comfort zone. Think about proposing some alternatives, or maybe it's coming up with a new fantasy that you're both into. So maybe it's not taking your partner partner's fantasy exactly or your fantasy exactly, but taking certain elements out and combining it into something new that's appealing for both of you because our fantasies are endlessly customizable. There's all kinds of ways we can go when we want to meet those deeper needs and desires that we have. That's great. I guess the takeaway is it really is a negotiation because yeah. a relationship is a negotiation. So that makes perfect sense. And you may not get everything that you want. And I think the other important takeaway is that it is potentially a very slow process. And I think also probably for a couple who's been together for example, as long as we have, we get kind of set in our ways and, you know, you can't just spring this on them. It has to be kind of a slow and gradual process. Especially after 20 or however many years right. of marriage, the idea that then suddenly you're going to start having sex with other people, like that is too much all at once for some people. Right. Like let's, let's test the waters here a little bit and try some other new things first before we jump into that. Right. And, and, and for some couples, actually, it's probably important to note that the communication itself could be the reward and that opening up your communication and level of intimacy could in itself be the reward. And you don't need to go beyond that. I found that with us, the more vulnerable that we become with one another, there's a direct relationship for me in my level of allowing myself to become vulnerable to Marina and the level of trust that we have for one another. And then as trust builds, then intimacy builds. And so it's this really wonderful cycle and snowball of, of positive effects. And if that's all it ever was, then that would be great. We have the benefit of also going to the next level and beyond. But I think that's important to note for our listeners that you know you, it may not wind up in actual swinging or actual fantasy realization, but there are plenty and plenty of benefits to be derived along the way. Yeah. Right. And that intimacy that builds just from sharing your fantasies can be very rewarding, can bring couples closer than they've ever been. And you can use those fantasies. You can think about it as kind of erotic storytelling, and that can be a source of arousal in and of itself. And maybe you'll find it doesn't need to go any further than that, because by this mutual storytelling, you can achieve a lot of the same benefits of enhanced arousal and pleasure just by using your imagination. And as I said earlier, you know, the reality doesn't always live up to the fantasy and sometimes it's better in your head and you can fully control what's in your head to be this situation that is ideal and 
optimally arousing for you and your partner. So, you know, use that to your benefit. And especially as a starting point, I think that's a good place to go. Yeah, I think that we had also talked about, to your point, was about being voyeurs or exhibitionists. I think that's a great segue. That's such a great way. And we are lucky enough to live in an area that has opportunities to do that. But we were just talking the other day about somebody had emailed us and the person, the man said, what do I do? I think my wife really wants to do this, but I don't know what to do. And, and I said, try, there's a particular sex club or something that the wife keeps mentioning. And I said, well, go, but talk about it before you go and talk about the fact that, okay, we're going to go this first time, but no matter what happens, whatever it is, we're only going to be with each other so that next time you can do it, but then there's no pressure on everybody. And it's kind of to your point about talking about the expectations, what you expect your boundaries to be. Those things are so important for people to know that they can change and move your boundaries, your guidelines, your rules can change and move as you grow, but that it's important that you're both feel comfortable and confident with where you're going with that. Yeah, certainly at the outset. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, something that's interesting about this era that we're living in right now and the pandemic, you know, a lot of these parties and events and other things where swingers could interact aren't available because they're not meeting in person or they're meeting in very small groups and things like that. But there's the possibility of virtual sex parties, which could be an interesting way of dipping your toes into the water because you don't have to be physically present in a room with other people, but you can still feed into those voyeuristic and exhibitionistic sides. So that's another potential way that people could go that might actually be even more readily available now uh, than it was in the past. And as you said, a great starting point for some people too. Right. I don't think we've really talked about that very much. No, we because... haven't. And honestly, we've never done that. Yeah. And it, it, it's just, one of the few things we've done. Yeah, well, I'm, I don't know. It just, it's not one of my fantasies, right. but that doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't mean that it, it might be kind of fun. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've been shut down during COVID. So if, yeah, well, if we're yeah. going to try I it now, it's give us a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's been plenty of opportunities. It's just right. been like, oh, you know, we don't have time for that. Plus we have kids at home. So you have to be careful sometimes when you do that as well. <laughs> yeah, living out those fantasies. I realized because I jumped right in, I was so excited to talk to you about the swinging aspect of all of this that I did want to talk about for people who haven't read your book, which was so interesting. And I just briefly... Can you give everybody a quick highlight a kind of about what the overall fantasies are, the kind of ones that were that you targeted as the main ones that kind of everybody shares or are the most common? Yeah. So for the book, I surveyed more than 4,000 Americans from all 50 states, ranging in age from 18 to 87. They completed this massive survey about their favorite fantasy and hundreds of people, places, and things they might have ever fantasized about. And when I looked at people's favorite fantasy of all time, people wrote this out in narrative form. They could say as much or as little as they wanted. Some people said a lot because they have very detailed and elaborate fantasies, but I content coded those fantasies for themes. And I found that there were really seven primary themes that emerged. The first of those was multi-partner sex. So threesomes and orgies, things where you're sexually interacting with more than one other partner at the same time. Second was power control and rough sex. So anything involving kinky or BDSM activities. Third was novelty and adventure. So it's just trying something that's a little new and different for you, such as sex in a new position or location or trying a sex toy or adding food to sex. Um, next were the taboo fantasies, you know, the things that you're really not supposed to do. But because all those other ones you are supposed to do, but these, so <laughs> what pushes the taboo stuff over from there? You can get to that in a minute, but. <laughs> 
Yeah, and, and, and I should say that's a good point <laughs> that these fantasies, these themes can overlap, right? right. And so it's not <laughs> that you know every fantasy is mutually like independent, falling into one of these categories. I actually find that for the most part they they span a couple of different categories. Um, but the taboo elements are really just anything you're not supposed to do. And yes, group sex sometimes falls in that. BDSM can fall in that. <laughs> Next up were the passion and romance fantasies. So any fantasies about emotionally connecting with another person or meeting some deeper psychological need. Often the desire to feel desired was one of the really big ones. People want to be wanted. Mm. Uh, and then the last two categories were the non-monogamy fantasies. And I separated that out from the group sex fantasies because these were the fantasies about swinging and polyamory and open relationships. It's more about having the possibility of more than one sexual relationship and or more than one romantic relationship at the same time, but not necessarily in a group sex situation. And then lastly were the gender bending and homoeroticism fantasies. So basically the fantasies about pushing the boundaries of your gender role or expression or your sexual orientation. So for example, a heterosexually identified person having a same-sex fantasy or a cisgender person person having a cross-dressing fantasy. Those are the kinds of things that fall into that category. So those were the seven main themes. I did a follow-up study and found that those seven themes accounted for 96% of people's favorite fantasies in the follow-up. So those really do seem to be the core building blocks. But in the follow-up, I let people describe their favorite fantasy and then select all the categories that applied. And, you know, most people's favorite fantasy spanned two or three or sometimes four of those categories. I think I had a couple people who spanned like all seven <laughs> because it was a really elaborate <laughs> type of fantasy. So, you know, those are the building blocks and you can combine them in any way that you want. So when you did the follow-up, is that recent? I think I've read that you did that on your website. People could go to the website and participate in that. Is that still happening? That was completed. I don't recall exactly when, but the first results from the follow-up were published in an academic journal last year. Right. The data collection for that is closed, but I recruited my participants through the website as well as through social media channels. I wouldn't call it a representative sample of the American population. It's more representative of social media users and that it skews a little bit younger. They lean a little bit more left in terms of their political inclinations and tend to be more sex positive in their views. So, you know, we don't know as much about about the sexuality and sexual fantasies of people who are really religiously or politically conservative just because they're not as willing to participate in sex studies. And also much older adults, you know, even though I had participants in their 70s and 80s who took part in the study, a lot of older adults don't have internet access or they have those, you know, more restrictive attitudes towards sex. So there are some populations where we don't know quite as much about their sexuality. It's just an inherent limitation of the research. Do you see a difference between between the younger generation, you said the more sex positive, do you see a difference between them and say, you know, folks our age in their 40s and 50s and things like that? Is there a viable difference? There are some interesting age differences. Our stereotype of younger adults, think like college age adults, is that they're hypersexual. And, you know, if anybody's having a threesome, it's them. And that, you know, they're just very sexually adventurous. But what I actually find is that their fantasies overall 
are more vanilla compared to people at midlife in their 40s and 50s. I actually find that people in their 40s and 50s have the most adventuresome sexual fantasy content. And it's much more adventuresome than the college age crowd. So they have more of the novelty fantasies, non-monogamy, group sex, taboo, like almost all of these categories go up uh, as people approach age 40. And I think there's a few reasons for that. One is that a lot of them are in long-term monogamous relationships. Their need for novelty and excitement is not being met. Their sex life has grown boring. And so there's sort of this craving or wanting for something that's new and different. But there's also the fact that as people get a little bit older, they often shed a lot of their personal insecurities and anxieties. You know, they give fewer fucks, pardon my language, uh, about, you know, <gasps> what other people think. <laughs> uh, it's okay. You can say fuck. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. I, I figured oh, I would yeah, apologize no, no. just in case. No, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Um, we say it all the time. Okay, good. Okay, good. Um, but I think there's a lot of value in kind of getting to that zero fucks stage of life, right? Yeah. Because it's freeing sexually and also in a lot of other ways, right? When you start to care less about what other people think of you and how they're going to judge you for your sexual interests, that is empowering and can allow people to really start exploring different aspects of their sexuality. So I think that's another key factor. And then there's also the fact that, you know, some of them are kind of in that midlife crisis and realizing like, hey, if I don't try this now, I'm never going to be able to do it. (laughs) I mean, you only live once. So I think all of those things come together. I, you know, that's so interesting, but so true. Like, I mean, I think the people that we've talked to and the folks that we've run into and social situations, but still lifestyle folks, that seems to be such a great common theme that people are just like, nope, I'm just going to do it and go for it. And it's interesting because we'll get people that will contact us and say, well, we, if we do this now, then we can be done with it by the time we're like in our fifties or sixties. And I'm like, you have no idea. There's, I see them. There's people in their seventies and eighties over there at the clothing optional resort that are having a good old time. And so it's interesting that people think they have this finite kind of period of time that they have to do this in. And gosh, they really don't. We have all kinds of weird ideas about human sexuality. Like, and I I think tying in with what you were just saying, there's also this idea that people think that their sexuality is going to shut off at a certain point or age, right? And it's just a really messed up idea that we have about sex in a way that we deny the sexuality of older adults, because you don't stop being sexual just because you reach a certain age. You know, what makes sex pleasurable or what you want out of sex might change. And actually, I, I do see in my research that there's actually kind of this, what I call curvilinear association between age and sexual fantasies. You know, the novelty and adventure increases up to age 40, stays high through the 50s, and then starts to decline a bit after that. And I think that makes sense because what's practical and feasible to do when it comes to sex changes as you get older, the things that you enjoyed when you were younger might not feel as good. And and we see in some other research that there's kind of, for many people, this shift in older age away from sex's intercourse to sex's intimacy. That doesn't necessarily mean that people aren't going to be kinky and, and trying new things, just that the nature of sex just becomes different. And something that I think a lot of people find interesting and mind-blowing when I talk about this, and I was just talking about this earlier today um, in, in another interview, is that many older adults, seniors, are engaging in kink and BDSM for the very first time. And part of it is an effort to cope with pain from chronic illnesses, 
because when you engage in BDSM activities, it has this way of sort of centering you and bringing you into the moment. And so it's a distraction from other feelings of pain that you might have, but also when you engage in these high intensity activities and you have high levels of sexual arousal, your brain is also activating its opioid system. And so that can reduce uh, the perception of pain. So, you know, there's this interesting connection between pleasure and pain uh, that exists in the brain. And, and, you know, that's part of the reason why some older adults, um, including those with chronic illnesses, become kinkier later on. That's very interesting. That is so fascinating. As he was talking, you know, I'm thinking, well, yeah, the endorphin release and <laughs> cortisol or whatever other chemicals would be released. But yeah, that's really fascinating. That is fascinating. And I actually had heard that before from a person who is, when we were at a kink club, and they were doing a kind of introduction to their club and how things work. I think it actually may have been the Kink 101 or something oh, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. I can't remember. But she happened, she, the instructor happened to comment about how the fact that she has some chronic illness stuff and she just loves being in that subspace. Mm-hmm. She goes, you know, for her subspace that she, it has helped with her chronic illness. And I never really thought about it much further than that. But as soon as she said that, I was like, oh, that's what she was talking about. Mm-hmm. That's really, really fascinating. Do you have opportunities to continue to study stuff? Are you still getting more information or are you still able to do, to gather more research? Oh yeah. I'm (laughs) the sex researcher brain never shuts off. I'm always... thinking of new ideas. And I have a whole document uh, of just ideas for new studies that I want to carry out. But my most recent work is focused on how the pandemic has changed people's sex lives. And as part of that, I looked at whether people's sexual fantasies have changed at all during this unique period in history. And one of the things that I do see is that people are fantasizing more now than they were before, which I think makes sense. We're having a harder time meeting our sexual and emotional needs. And so we're turning inwards in a lot of cases to try and meet them. But the content of people's fantasies is shifting a little bit as well, not in the same direction for everybody. You know, sort of the overall shift is that there's more romantic and emotional components to our fantasies now, because we're not having that need for social and emotional connection being met. So I have a lot of participants who say things like, my fantasies now are less about the sex and more about being with the other person and having that intimacy. But by the same token, I also have some participants who say that their fantasies have become kinkier or more advanced. They had their first threesome during COVID or there are all kinds of ways that people are changing. And that's one of the things that I find fascinating as a sex researcher is that it's never a story of here's this one effect that everybody experienced. No, there's always diversity. Everybody's different. Yeah. In this situation, some people are, you know, becoming more emotional and romantic focused in their fantasies, but other people are becoming very kinky. So I never get bored doing what I do. Us either. We don't get bored, at least not yet. (laughs) (laughs) I do find that very intriguing though, because I had also read some things about how people were changing due to COVID. Actually, what I had read was that people were a little bit less motivated to even feel sexy or even even fantasize or even masturbate or play with themselves or feeling sexy with their partner. That's great. And so I, I, I found that very interesting too, because so I can see where the shift would then maybe go a little bit more to that emotional, physical piece. And you said that that was one of the fantasy types of your seven was this, this connection piece to it. And I kind of wanted to touch on that a little bit because I found that that, I find that that's very interesting that that's a fantasy, that that would be a category, like that people don't have that opportunity 
opportunity. So does that all kind of come into play also? Yeah. So in the passion and romance fantasies, it's often about a partner having this overwhelming passion and desire for you. So it's about that spark, that intensity of attraction. And when you're in the very early phases of a sexual and romantic relationship with someone, right, you can't keep your hands off of each other, right? Because the intensity of the attraction is so high, but that feeling goes away and it tends to go away fairly quickly. You know, if you look at the research studies, those intense feelings of passion last on average somewhere between six months and two years. And so I think that's a big part of a lot of people's fantasies is to go back to having those feelings, right? Because there's something so magical about that feeling of passion and connection and that person just having that craving for you, or you having that craving for another person. And so in our fantasies, I think we're often going back to that. And that's one of the things that we're often continually looking for in our relationships is how do we get that spark or that feeling back? And one of the ways that people can do that is by incorporating their fantasies into their sex lives, because that amps up the arousal and excitement. And, you know, when you start having this really good sex and meeting your needs and desires, you know, nothing makes you want sex more than, you know, having really amazing, mind-blowing sex. Right, right. Even more. The endorphins kick in and you're like, yeah, let's do that again. (laughs) You know, and also related to that, there's some interesting research finding that the more sexually satisfied a woman is in a relationship, the more likely she is to masturbate. And that goes along with this idea that having really great sex can actually amp up your sex drive. For people who are kind of looking to get that spark back in their relationship, finding ways to mix it up, try new things with your partner, incorporate those fantasies is really one of the keys to doing that. And one other thing I'll say, tying this in with our previous discussion of COVID, is that we find in our research that one in five people say they've tried something new in their sex life since the pandemic began. And one of the most common new things that people tried was sharing and acting on their fantasies for the first time. So this has been a really unique opportunity and it continues to be a unique opportunity to really connect with your partner and share this side of yourself that you've never shared with them before. And the couples who are doing this are ultimately going to come out stronger in the end, I suspect, because they use this time to develop a new intimacy. Right. Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. And it makes sense because I've been working from home since March and we've spent more time together in the last 10 months than really at any time in our relationship. Right. And, you know, not only are we not tired of each other yet. Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? Good for you. (laughs) Oh, just give it time. Yeah, just give it time. But uh, no, I I think it's it's really enhanced our relationship Mm -hmm. even more. And even though we're in in prior to this, when we were going out and playing all the time with others and experiencing all of these things together, that in itself was very much an enhancement of our relationship, which we talk about a lot in our podcast. But now that that piece of it is not available to us and hasn't been since the middle of March, this has been a very great opportunity for us to really come closer together. and, And we have. And I think people are definitely looking for community. I think really the bottom line is community and connection, exactly what you're talking about. And it can be with each other, it can be with other groups of people, but, and especially in this pandemic time. And so I find that interesting, again, kind of going back to that, the connection piece, having fantasies about being wanted and desired and so intensely loved, but that's again, is about a community or a feeling of connection and loved by somebody or want desired by somebody, even it doesn't even have to be loved. So I think that, yeah, this whole COVID has really made people realize that even more. 
Yeah. In so many different ways. And for so many different people, it's, for, it's different ways. Human beings are inherently social creatures. And so this situation has been so challenging in, in so many ways because we need that connection with other people. And there are so many negative, bad things that happen when we feel lonely. You know, we already had a loneliness epidemic before the pandemic happened. Uh, and this has only further heightened that. And, and again, I think that's part of the reason why we're seeing that shift in people's fantasies. But it's also part of the reason why more generally, more often than not, there's some emotional subtext to our sexual fantasies. You know, we have a tendency when we think about fantasies to think, oh, it's all about this specific sex act. And we think of it as this physical thing that people want to do. But there's this huge psychological and emotional element to it that often gets ignored. And so even when you're thinking about a fantasy like a threesome, people tend to focus on the extra body parts that are around and, you know, things you can see and touch and feel. But when I look at the descriptions of people's threesome fantasies, most people say they want to be the center of attention, which speaks to that feeling of they want to be overwhelmingly desired by multiple people at the same time. I actually find it's very rare for people to say they fantasize about completely emotionless sex. You know, more often than not, there's some emotional need they're getting met at the same time. I a million percent agree with you. That's where I think people can actually get caught off guard and trip up maybe is even a way to say it because I think there's so much saying, well, I want to do this, but there's nothing to do with emotion with it. And if you would just kind of admit that and say, well, yeah, because I, I want to be the center of attention or I want to try something that pushes my limits and maybe get something a little kinky or whatever. And because it's exciting, I wonder if that's going to spark something in me. But I think people try and tamp that down because then it makes the sharing of the fantasy easier. Yeah. Not as, again, yeah, it's, not you're as not, then. it's yeah. not as threatening. You're not being as vulnerable. If you just say, oh, I just want to try it, but whatever. It's, uh, you know, just something I thought about instead of something, no, I really want, I'm, I'm into this. I want to, I want to do it. We talk about it with swingers all the time that people say, well, we just, we call them sexual swingers or social swingers. And so sexual swingers are the ones that just go for the gang bangs or whatever. And that, and that works for them. And that's great. But then there's the other group that actually is looking to make those connections. And I think that we run into people who are very successful in their swinging lifestyle. And they're the ones that have been very honest with themselves about what that means for their relationship. And I think it's terrifying for people to talk about the fact that if it's an emotional piece, because then I might hurt my partner's feelings if I say, if I need some more emotion, if I need something else. And I think that's part of these fantasies too, is that people can feel like, then I'm not fulfilling your fantasy. And so I don't want to make my partner feel like a failure. So how can I say, well, I want to use a lot more vibrators or something like that, because I don't want him to feel that he doesn't do it for me. And so I think that that's something else too, when you're talking about people and, and sharing their fantasies. Yeah. And I, I love that distinction between the sexual swingers and the social swingers, mm -hmm. you know, the ones who are just there for the sex and the ones who are really there for the, you know, post orgy buffet and want to you know, <laughs> hang out and socialize and you know have a, have a bite to eat. And, you know, that highlights the fact that sex meets different needs for us. And it, and it varies a lot from one person to the next, but that's why it's important to be on the same page with your partner about what you're hoping to get out of it. And something I wanted to bring up that's related to this is there's a different way you can have a discussion about sexual fantasies, which is rather than asking your partner what they fantasize about and to describe a specific sex act, you can ask them, how do you want to feel during sex, right? And try and tap into what are the underlying emotions and feelings and physical sensations that they want to experience? 
during sex. And when you have a better understanding of that and what the need really is, that gives you so much more flexibility to cultivate scenarios and scenes and activities that can tap into those desires that are mutually agreeable to all of the participants. So it's just a way of kind of flipping the conversation on its head and approaching it a different way. And I think that can be helpful, especially for the couples who are kind of at an impasse where, you know, they shared the act and the partner's not into it. Well, let's flip the script and talk about how do you want to feel and how can we work together to get you those feelings? And you can customize a mutually gratifying scenario and everybody wins. I like that. That's a great idea. Yeah. Well, and that's what I was going to ask you too. And I'm so glad that you said that because that reminded me, do you ever talk about, or is there something where a partner comes to their partner and says, okay, I want to do this. And the partner is caught off guard or they don't want to do it. How does the partner then say, I don't know how to approach this. Like in my mind, what I'm imagining is like Tristan coming to me and saying, oh, but Hey, by the way, I want to have a threesome and me going, (gasps) and how do we not react that way so that that doesn't slam the door. I think that's what I'm really trying to get at. Like, I don't want him, I don't want to say something that says, well, I want to play with this toy or whatever, and then get such a reaction that it slams the door or that I misinterpret that for that's the end of that discussion ever. Cause I was already risking myself to even talk about it. Maybe didn't do it in the best way. So I didn't get met with an open response. Yeah. And that goes back to the value of trying to build up that trust and intimacy first in the relationship when you get to that level, you can start to take some of the fear of judgment out of the equation, right? So I think, you know, when you have a strong communicational foundation, that makes it a lot easier to go in. But also it can be helpful when you're sharing these types of fantasies to set some ground rules and maybe follow a framework for how you're going to share them, right? So there's an exercise that uh, I sometimes help people go through when it comes to sharing their fantasies. And it starts first by telling your partner what it is that you appreciate about them as a partner in general, and then tell them what you appreciate about them as a sexual partner. And you sort of take turns answering these questions for each other so that you're both validating one another. And then you raise your fantasy by saying, you know, something I've thought about that turns me on is X. And then at the very end, something I would like to try in bed is Y, right? Uh, And so you kind of go through this progression where you're advancing to a deeper level of disclosure, but you're validating each other in the process. And as you're doing this, I think that that can help create the right atmosphere and tone so that, you know, one partner isn't going to have that knee jerk type of reaction because you're both sharing with one another at the same time. And you don't want your partner to treat you with that same sort of shock and disgust. I'm not saying that quite right. You want your partner to treat you the same way that you're treating them. Right. Right. And so if you know that you're sharing something that's very deeply intimate and you don't want to be judged or shamed for it, then you're going to monitor your responses to your partners. So when it's occurring in that context of mutual sharing, I think that can help in terms of alleviating that reaction. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else did you have? We've talked about, you know, doing some groundwork on yourself first and becoming more comfortable with yourself and then becoming more comfortable and more established in your relationship and more intimate in your relationship and then feeling safe enough to, to share fantasies. If we've done all of that and everything's going well, how do we go to the next step then to actually realizing acting out the fantasies? 
And specifically, are there, you know, are there people who just never should go that extra step? <laughs> are there people who absolutely should? I, I recall in, in your book that you talk about the, the level of, and you alluded to it earlier, the level of satisfaction among people who, and you can correct me on the statistics, but it's a relatively low percentage of people who actually then do try out and try to act out their fantasies. But of those people who do, it's a very, very high satisfaction rate. And so, you know, so a couple of things there, you know, who should and who shouldn't. And I know it's situational and and there are as many different answers to that as there are couples. And then if you do decide to go at that extra step, what's the safest and safe meaning physical safety, but then also emotional and relational safety. What's the safest way to go about that? Yeah, and I, I realized that. <laughs> There's a, a lot in that question. Uh, so I'll try and remember all of it. Um, but what I found was that 80% of my participants said they want to act on their favorite fantasy of all time, but only 20% have ever done so. So there's a pretty big gap between fantasy and reality. You know, as you said, for the most part, I find that people are reporting very positive experiences, sharing and acting on their fantasies, but there's a significant minority who do report bad experiences, which, you know, highlights the fact that, as I said earlier, there's potential risks and potential rewards that need to be balanced. And so when it comes to who's likely to have a more positive experience, you know, I don't frame it as like, these people should do it, these people shouldn't do it. Rather, um, some people are more likely to have positive experiences than others. And part of that is knowing yourself. And one of the things I find is that for people who are very easily stressed out, they're high on this personality trait called neuroticism, where they have more swings between the highs and lows emotionally, and they don't deal well with stress. They report worse experiences acting on uh, certain types of fantasies. And that makes sense because trying something new is stressful. And if you don't deal well with stress, then the situation is probably not going to go that well. So I think it's important to know yourself before you decide whether to act on a fantasy. Also, people who are more extroverted, meaning they're more sociable and outgoing, and people who are more agreeable, meaning they care more about their partner's well-being, these individuals report better experiences acting on their sexual fantasies. And I think that's because they're more communicative and they're taking more safety precautions to ensure their partner's pleasure and and satisfaction. So it's important that the partners are going in with the right personality traits to promote a a positive experience. It doesn't mean that you don't have that personality profile that you should never act on your fantasies, just that it might take some extra precautions and work ahead of time. I also find that it depends on the nature of the fantasy. So people who act on passion and romance fantasies tend to report very positive effects and experiences. I think because those fantasies are often very couple-centric, there's something in it for everybody. But the group sex fantasies, on average, people reported positive experiences, but those were the fantasies that were least likely to turn out well. And I think that's because most people just don't have a script for how that goes. And there's that uncertainty and failure to plan ahead. And as a result, the situation isn't as satisfying for them. So, you know, one takeaway from that isn't that you shouldn't act on a fantasy that is not consensual and and safe and sane and all those sorts of things, right? So there are some fantasies you shouldn't act on. But for the safe, sane, consensual fantasies, it's okay to act on them, but you need to take safety precautions. You need to research and plan ahead. You need to have really good communication skills with your partner, with your ground rules, your boundaries, your safe words, all that kind of stuff. So it's the advanced 
advanced planning that I think really helps to increase the odds of a positive experience. And I think also, I think that's such a great piece of advice. And then also, as we talked about earlier, kind of going into it slowly and and building up to the next thing. I cannot imagine deciding to, you know, have multiple sex partners, you have a gangbang or whatever, and then going into that and doing it without having had any other partner, except for my husband for, you know, 28 years, it would have been terrifying and not turned out well. And I think the other thing too, and, and you touched on it and you talk about it in your book is also the physiological piece too. I think people get caught up a lot of times that, oh my God, I get to act out my fantasy. This is going to be amazing. And then for men, they get there and then their penis doesn't cooperate. And because they're terrified or all those things. And you talked about the physiological versus a psychological piece of it as well. And that's such an easy piece to leave out because who wouldn't be able to get an erection if you're going to be able to have, you know, multiple sex partners or, or whatever that is, or what woman wouldn't be able to perform and just lay back and have an orgasm with all these fabulous men treating her like the center of attention. If you're not aware of your own self, then that can really fuck you up. That can, that can trip you up and then you're screwed. And then that's kind of the same thing about the the fantasy. It didn't go well. Yeah. And if it's already a tenuous situation to begin with, in that, you know, we work so hard to get to the point where we feel comfortable trying this and then it didn't go well, I'm sure it'd be really easy for one or both partners to just say, fuck it, let's pull the plug. Luckily we didn't. (laughs) We kept plugging away at it. (laughs) You had to think we would have learned our lesson. Like, oh, Dr. Lamiller, you have no idea. It's like, can, no, but, can we make it any more worse? And we're like, well, that sucked. Let's do that differently next time. Let's we do ne- that again. Yeah, we never said we're never going to do that. We just said that should have gone better. Yeah, let's let's figure out how to make that go better next time. So let's just pivot a little and keep moving. Yeah, but I think the you know point you raised about sometimes you get into those situations and for some people, it's more of a stress response than anything. And then that shuts down their sexual response. And then that can be emotionally devastating because if you're the guy at the orgy who can't get it up, instead of just having that situation where one partner, your primary partner is present, who might understand that, you know, then you've got that feeling of, you know, all the other people that you feel like incorrectly that you let down and all these other things, right? You know, people are much more understanding of this than, than in forgiving of this than we like to admit or believe. But that feeling of like embarrassment is something that can then carry over even just into their partnered interactions with their primary afterwards, because there's that lingering feeling of performance anxiety, like, will I be able to get it up this time? And so, you know, again, that's why the baby steps are so important where you test the boundaries and limits first and figure out your comfort zone. Some people, like I said, just get stressed out too easily and keeping their sex life more vanilla, like that is what works for them. And there's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to be really sexually adventuresome to prove something to anyone else. You don't have to do it to be sexually satisfied. You know, you can be as vanilla or as kinky as you want and have an amazing sex life. So you just have to figure out what works for you in your relationship circumstances. Wow, very well stated. Yeah, yeah. I think the thing that I I was going to say, the thing for me out of everything, out of all of this that I have so loved is people starting to have conversations about it. And that's why we so wanted to have you on the show because so many people don't know how to talk to their partners about these things. And it's, as we said, as you even said, people in their forties and fifties are starting to, to give less fucks. And so can we make that more universal? Like, wouldn't that be nice if you knew you weren't going to get shamed for, for having a dirty thought for 
wanting to try something different. I mean, it's such a liberating thing. And if people could just be a little bit more open about allowing people to feel their feelings and to, to experience those things, it would be amazing. And that's what we're trying to do too, is to tell people, we will say it all the time, just because we do it and work for us doesn't mean it'll work for everybody. We don't recommend it for everybody. And you don't recommend the fantasies for everybody, but it's such a wonderful time of when you can have that freedom to begin to explore those things and safety to be able to, to talk about it openly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's huge. Well, uh, what else are you working on? What else is going on in Dr. Lay Miller's life these days besides <laughs> COVID and, you know, that stuff? <laughs> I've been busy. I've tried to be productive during lockdowns and quarantines. So uh, I have a very active research program. I think last year I will have published six or seven academic papers and a couple book chapters on top of that. But I'm also really getting into the whole podcasting thing. So ah. this year I'm actually releasing a new episode once a week. Uh, so I'm really wow. ramping up the podcast production. I found that I really enjoy it. And it's for me helping to meet that social <laughs> need that need to connect because I'm not used to working from home and being in one place. I'm used to traveling and giving talks and all these other things. So, you know, for me, that's been a great social outlet, but it's also led to some really fascinating conversations that I wouldn't otherwise have had. So the podcast is uh, something big that I'm working on. And then I'm also doing a total website redesign to make it even more valuable to, to users. So it's primarily just been a blog, but I'm adding some additional resources content there for people that'll be launching uh, sometime in the spring. And I'm super excited to get that out there. Oh, that's great. Well, that's wonderful. And then so people can find you on your website. Where else can people find you? My website is sex and psychology at sexandpsychology.com. You can find links there to all of my books and my social media channels. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Justin Laymiller or Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. That's L-E-H Miller. And, you know, if you want the daily updates on the sex research, connect with me on the social media. Actually, I don't know that you know this, but I follow you on Instagram. And then I think I commented on something and you actually answered me once. And I was like, oh, isn't that nice? <laughs> I, I try to engage. If you, uh, if you shoot me a question on social media, there's a good chance you'll you'll get an answer. Yeah, you did. And I do. I do actually see that because I try also, as anybody asks us anything or comments, it was like, oh my gosh, he answered me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure people say that about us too, but I'm like, ah, but. That's, that's wonderful. So anything else that you have to? No, I think it was a wonderful conversation. Very, very helpful. Thank you very much, Dr. Lynn Miller. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us. And we wish you so much luck with everything. Cannot wait to hear about what's going on next in your next bunch of research numbers that come out because it's truly fascinating. Yeah. Again, if we can just get the conversation going about it's okay to talk about these things, then everybody would be so much happier. Yeah, at least with their partners. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. And that's where it all begins. That's right. That's right. So that was great to get to talk to him. There are a couple of takeaways for me. I don't know about you, but for me, I think the primary thing was this is difficult and can be really uncomfortable to talk about, to start this conversation, but it's incredibly important to start this conversation because there are so many benefits that can be derived from talking about your fantasies. As we talked about in the interview with Dr. Lay Miller, you don't necessarily have to go to the next step of talking about, okay, now let's make this a reality. Right. There's a lot to be gained from just talking to your partner about your fantasies because it creates a lot of intimacy. It creates a lot of trust and it just can really be a hyper boost for your relationship 
just by doing that simple thing. Right. Yeah. So, And I think the other thing, too, is that we all really talked about and agreed about is that it's worth the risk to do that, to risk being vulnerable to talk to your partner about something that you may not be able to talk to them about before or that you're worried about talking to it. And I, I think back to like when we were before we were starting out, like, would I have told you some of the things that I think like do would I have told you that I wanted to have sex with another man? I mean, I don't know, because I don't know that I even thought about it. So if we had started having those dialogues and talking about it, it it would have been obviously a lot different. But I think our relationship would have been in a lot different place too at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, we right. jumped in and it stirred everything up for us. But yeah. I think if we had entered in the other way, and I think that we would have been able to share a lot more on the front end. Right. And again, the fact is we don't know and we can never know because right. it, we it happened for us the way that it did. And which, by the way, I think another takeaway from our conversation with Dr. Lay Miller is don't do it the way that we did it. <laughs> I think everybody agrees yeah. not to yeah. do it the way that we did it. You should do it in a much more measured and considerate way. <laughs> right. Yeah. And as you said, go low and slow. You know, just start basic and just talk about some basic fantasies and just get used to talking to your partner about things that may or may not be uncomfortable, but for most people probably are uncomfortable. Right. And just kind of build that communication. I like to think of it as building a muscle, building a communication muscle Mm -hmm. and just starting out light and then continually building it, working it and getting more comfortable talking to your partner about things that are most people don't talk about. Right. Absolutely. But I think we both agree that there's so much to be gained from talking about it. Right. Yeah. It's so, pretty cool. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Good it was stuff. so I, it was so cool talking to him. It was yeah. Really, he's really he's neat. a super neat guy. Yeah. And uh, his book is amazing. I would definitely highly recommend it. It And it was amazing because it, the way that it talks about all the different types of fantasies. So mm-hmm. he talks about all that stuff first and what that all meant. So there's, a, there's some science in it. T- but it's really cool to see how it all kind of came together and what the different what people think and right. thought and and then and the fact that ninety four percent of all fantasies can basically be compartmentalized or at least distributed among those seven right it's and a, so the takeaway from that yeah and the takeaway from that is that you know we all we're all thinking about the same stuff right maybe not to the same degree but there's a commonality there right and I think that that's the other thing too and so because. In our country, in our culture, we don't talk about sex very openly. And so we think that it's all, all of our kinks and all of our, hmm, I wonder what it would be like, are shameful because right. that's what our culture has said. You just right. don't talk about that stuff anywhere else, but in the bedroom, even if you can talk about it there. But that was amazing to me that that, that everybody is kind of thinking the same things yeah. into some degrees. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was really cool. It was yeah. really cool. So yeah. pick up his book if you can. Tell me what you want is the name of the book available on Amazon. That's where I picked it up. I, I really am not kidding. I, I ordered it and reached out to him the next day after yeah. we got it. It was I started reading him like, oh, hell yeah, or we want to have him on the show. And it turned out that he was available and he got to be our very first guest. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, that was it for that one. So um, I guess we will, well, in case you guys need to know, you can find us on our website at accidentalswingers.com, Instagram at accidentalswingers, Twitter is at Marina underscore Tristan. And that's it. That's it. That is it. So thanks for joining us, everybody. And we will see you next time. Love this episode of the Accidental Swingers? Pop on over to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe to our show. And while you're there, you can leave us a review. You can also visit our website, accidentalswingers.com, to get show notes, read our blog, or find out about our next adventure. Join us next time and listen along as we bumble our way through this adventure that we call The Lifestyle.